We are New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. A community church in the city of Chicago, all over the city, for the good of the city. Right now, we are in the midst of our series, Different Jesus. A series that looks at the things we take for granted about Jesus and shows us a different picture. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message. And something really crazy had just happened. An earthquake. A massive earthquake. And the crazy part is it happened somewhere where no one would have seen it, felt it, or anything. It happened deep in the Indian Ocean. And miles and miles and miles away, on a beach in Thailand, sat a family having a vacation. And everything seemed normal. No one noticed anything out of the ordinary besides Tilly. Everyone say Tilly. Tilly. That's not a cool name, Tilly. Uh, <laughs> she was 10 years old, and she starts to see the water receding pretty rapidly. She starts to see some foam on there, and she starts to get a weird feeling. This 10-year-old girl starts to get a weird feeling like something bad is going to happen, and she doesn't know why. And then she connects the dots. Two weeks ago, in her geography class, they had talked about tsunamis. Tsunamis, these huge waves that come in and just can suck, go in so fast and then rip out everything. People, everything out, miles and miles out in the ocean. And so she, she comes up to her parents, she's like, I think there's a tsunami that's about to hit. And her parents are like, no, just calm down. Everything's fine. You want to go for a swim? You know, and she's like, so then she's like, ah, ah, and she sees like things like spinning. I guess that's another sign. It's like things spinning in the water. And so she just starts freaking out. She starts running up and down the beach yelling tsunami. Okay, tsunami's hit. Tsunami's going to hit. I mean, this is a brave 10-year-old girl, okay? This probably most likely most kids would be like, okay, my parents said everything's okay. But she was persistent. So much so that a security guard heard her, came over and checked, and also knew what these signs meant. So they managed to evacuate that beach, and within a couple minutes, a massive wave came in, tore up, like went through all the lobbies of all the hotels, everything that's along the beach, uh, like boats, cars, everything just torn through the streets. But all the people on that beach were saved. Especially Miss Tilly. Tilly still was like leading the charge. She's like, get to high ground! <laughs> like, in this tsunami, 10 million, or no, sorry, 2 million, 2 million people died. I don't know, 2 million, 4 million, there was millions of people that died. I can't remember the number right now. But millions of people died in this tsunami. But 100 people that were on this beach with Tilly were saved. So we're going to come back to Tilly in a second. But I just want to first just pause and welcome you to Easter 2021. Woo! We're glad you're here. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Welcome. We're so glad you're here with us. I mean, it just kind of blows my mind to think I was talking with Brooke yesterday, my wife, and I was like, man, a year ago, we were online. The pandemic had just started. We were all wondering, why, like, oh, maybe like another week or two, this will be over, we'll be able to meet again, and here it's over a year later, 
and we're just barely gathering here outside in the parking lot, right? Like, it's just crazy, crazy. No one can predict what tomorrow will bring, but I'm so glad we're here. I'm so glad the weather is nice enough that we can be outside, yes. So, my name's Galen. I'm a pastor here with the church, New Life Community Church. We're all over the city, and we have a location here in Rogers Park. That's where you're joining us right now, as well as online. Thank you for joining us online today. We are so glad that all of you are here. So, today is something that that is just so amazing. It's just a day that we can't even put words to, and I feel like Christine already preached a great sermon that we could have just already had the, the, the Easter already proclaimed, right? So I hope I can bring something beyond that, because that was just so good. But today, maybe for Christians, might be the greatest day. The greatest day. And some of you might be like, what about Christmas? Okay. Well, that's a good day too, okay? So there's just there's lots of good days. But I want to share with you a little bit about this day and why it happens to be so important to us as Christians. If you've grown up in the U.S., I don't know where other, other countries celebrate exactly. I would love to hear about it. But here, you might think of Easter as chocolate and fluffy bunnies or something, okay? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But that's not exactly why we are so excited about Easter today as Christians, okay? Some of you are like, that's all you want. You can't wait till you go home and get some chocolate or something. Um, but today, I hope this talk will maybe blow your mind a little bit about Easter. Maybe it'll cause you to think a little bit uh, larger about Easter, okay? So over the last four weeks, we've been doing a series called Different Jesus. I don't even know if it's on screen. Okay. Can anybody see this screen at all? You can see it? Okay. What screen? <laughs> Just a little bit. What screen? <laughs> this one. The big one. Uh, it's hard to see. I know. Uh, if you're on watching online, I know you can see it a lot easier. But we've been doing a series called Different Jesus. Different because we make a lot of assumptions about who Jesus is. We make a lot of assumptions about who Jesus is. A lot of things that have been told us, told to us about Jesus. A lot of things that we've just grown up and maybe we've culturally been taught. And a lot of these things are not actually true, right? One of the one of the ways this is most obvious is in our artwork. And every week we've been looking at some different pictures. That's been fun for me. I like spent hours going through Google, finding all these fun pictures, but. Uh, a, lot, a lot of the ways we look is we see, man, artwork has depicted Jesus very differently throughout the ages as well as cultures. There's been a lot of critique of the European Jesus over the last couple hundred years, especially the last like 50 years. Is like, man, this this white Jesus has been used as like a token for racism or as like some sort of for wars. And there's like some truth to that, and I think that not everyone was using it for that, but that's true. But I think what is interesting is we, if we go and look at cultures, every culture actually does the same thing. We make Jesus into our own image. And I got a couple pictures here, GB. Everybody say thank you to GB. Thank you, bro. You're doing awesome. The slide person doesn't get things enough. Uh, this Jesus is comes out of an African culture. And his skin, his hair, it looks African. Go to the next one, Jeannie. I can't even see that one. Uh, I think it's an Asian Jesus. And you can see, if you could see this well, you would see that. Keep going. 
That's just so hard to see. I can't even see it. Uh, this one's my personal favorite, Tattooed Jesus, okay? Uh, if you are into tattoos, Jesus may look like that, okay? Go on to the next one. This one is, I've showed this every week, and this is the one that most scholars believe what Jesus actually would have physically looked like. Physically looked like. So if you can't see it here, go later on this, go back and watch this video and you can see a little better. But the thing that strikes me the most about that picture is how ordinary Jesus looks. How ordinary he looks. He looks like a Jewish man from 2,000 years ago. Not the way that we normally depict in our minds, our artwork, everything, who Jesus is. And I think a lot of these things didn't come out of the wrong heart. I think it's just what we naturally do. We naturally as a culture assume that Jesus would have looked like us. But the crazy part about all this is that Jesus told us to follow him, right? But a lot of the times we're having Jesus follow us, okay? Not just our artwork, but a lot of times it happens in what we believe about what Jesus taught. The parts of the Bible that we emphasize, they happen to fall in line with our cultural preferences. We're like, oh, that verse, well, that, see, that, there's a reason for that, okay? There's a reason I don't follow that verse. And don't get me wrong, a lot of these are like very hard to wrestle through. Some of these cultural things that we can take or not take. But a lot of the times we fall into our cultural preference, the way that we have been raised to see Jesus. And instead of looking like Jesus, we end up making Jesus look like us. So... If this is your first time joining us, don't worry. You're not missing out because you missed the rep last of the series. This is the last one we're going to do. I think this is like the best one. The culmination of this whole series. You're here. You didn't miss out. You are here at the right time. And I believe that all the previous messages, you didn't need to hear them. But if you want to go back and listen, great. I would recommend it. But today you can understand the day completely. Because uh, today we're going to talk about something that has to do with the root of our faith. The root of our faith as Christians. Something that has everything to do with being a Christian, but something we tend to not see. You see, following Jesus is a lot like that story about Tilly. About Tilly, you know? When you, when you, you don't, I mean, when I hear that story, I wonder, okay, that's great. Like, a hundred people were saved, but like, two million people died. Right? Like, and I, I mean, Tilly got like, awarded by like, the president, like, given some, like, crazy peace award, you know, like, just all this stuff. But two million people did die. And I wonder, why was Tilly right there? How come she learned about tsunamis, like, two weeks before? Why couldn't there have been more Tillys? Why couldn't she have been able to talk to everybody? It was such important news. It could have saved so many lives. But it was hidden, hard to see. It was a small thing. This morning, I want to look at the story of Easter and how Jesus seems to be just as hidden and hard to see. So follow with me. If you have a Bible, and all of you actually do, this is the crazy part, we can actually look on our phones. So you can look on your phone. If you have a printed Bible, you can open that too. We're going to look at the book of John, chapter 20. You can actually just Google John 20, and it will be the first thing that will come up on Google. So you can look on your phone and follow with me. You can actually also try to read this here, but your eyes will hurt at the end of the sermon, okay? So you might have a little migraine or something from trying to read the scriptures here, but that works for you. Go ahead. Look, next sermon, have people with like binoculars like sitting right there watching. So go ahead and turn to John 20. John 20, I'll give you just a second. 
says there, verse 1, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Remember the little stone in the egg, right? We got, we got this already. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, by the way, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. We don't know where they put him. So everything that we're going to talk about today has everything to do with what just happened over the last few days. You just have to rewind it 2,000 years. As Christine brought up, what happened on Friday? What do we call Friday? Good Friday. Yeah, not bad Friday, which makes more sense to me. But good Friday, right? Because we see what happened afterwards. Friday was actually pretty bad. It was pretty dark. It was pretty horrible what happened. You see, 2,000 years ago, there was this man named Jesus. This Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be God, and he went around for several years doing all these miracles. He had a lot of people following him. He was healing people. He was teaching about who God was. He was helping people. It seemed like he was going to radically change the world. He had a large group following him, and they thought he was the Messiah. The one that was going to come and put everything right. Not only for them, but for the world. Right? They, th they thought this about him. But on Friday, the worst possible thing happened. He was nailed to a cross, and then he died. It seemed like the world had ended for so many. This just didn't make sense. How could this Messiah, who had done so many miraculous things, he himself had raised people from the dead, how could he die? This, this, this Jesus who claimed to be God, how could he die? It just doesn't make sense to us. The only reason any of us would, would be okay with that is because we've heard it so many times. That God could die. It just doesn't make sense to us. How could he be dead? How could his body be put into a grave, a tomb? And as the stone rolled across the entrance to that tomb, the, the followers were crushed. All the people who had followed him and thought he was going to be something, but he ended up failing them. They were sure he was going to bring them some kind of victory, some kind of restart. All these horrible people would be gone and they would start a new government, but now he was dead. They thought they were going to start a revolution that would change the world, but now there was nothing. And that's where everything sat on Friday night, all day Saturday. And then Sunday comes along. Look at that first verse again. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. I mean, Sunday. Okay, that was the first day of the week for the Jewish people. The Sunday, early while it was still dark, a woman named Mary. Everyone say Mary. 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 Sounds like Tilly. Tilly. Mary was one of Jesus' closest followers. She can't sleep. It's not what she expected. So she wakes up, it's still dark, and she wants to go and take care of Jesus' body. She wants to do at least something. Jesus was taken off that cross and just thrown into this cave. She wanted to go and actually make sure his body was taken care of and, and it was done right. So while it's dark, she sets out, when she gets there, something's wrong. 
Something isn't what she expected. It's a little terrifying. Says so she gets to the tomb and the stone has been rolled away and Jesus' body is missing. Everyone say missing. Missing. Yes, Jesus' body was missing. She doesn't know what to do. This is horrible. Not only, not only has the worst possible thing happened, but now someone has taken the body. Okay, imagine like just in the in her footsteps, like you just watched your the person you literally put everything on die. So you go to actually do one last thing for him and take care of his body, and someone stole the body. I mean. I know some of you have suffered this last year when you weren't able to attend a funeral, right? This has been hard for a lot of us. And maybe it hasn't happened to you, but there's been horrendous, horrendous stories where people who have been married for 50 years and their spouse dies and they cannot see them one last time. Imagine that, that feeling of pain. And this person you love so much, you go to see him one last time to take care of his body and his body is gone. So what does she do? She runs all the way back into town to tell someone. She runs all the way back in. Yo, Peter, John, there's, there's a great robber and they stole Jesus' body. Right? And so Peter and John, they're also two of Jesus' closest friends. They're like, you got to be kidding me. And this weekend get any worse. So they run all the way to the tomb says they get there and they see that the body is gone. It's exactly as Mary said. How is this possible? And they end up walking back into the town in a daze. What is happening? What is happening? Look at me at verse 9. It says this. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. woo it's like the Bible's getting a little sassy, but they did not understand, right? Like, these foolish disciples, you don't still don't understand what's happening. You think somebody stole the body. Like, come on, Jesus told you that he would come back to life? How come Jesus wasn't there? Did Jesus rise from the dead like he said? Here's where it gets crazy. This is the turning point. For this entire story, for the entire world, the morning 2,000 years ago, Jesus came back to life. Jesus came back to life. As in he had been dead and then life came back into his body. And I'm not talking about the stories you've heard where you die on the operating table and they manage to resuscitate you and then you write a book and, you know, get really famous. I'm not saying that those stories did not happen, but this is not with Jesus, okay? Jesus had nails driven through his wrists, his ankles, a spear shoved up his side into his heart. He literally had no blood left in his body. He suffocated almost to death. And then he was thrown into a cave. There was no resuscitating happening from some medical reason. Like nothing on earth could have brought him back. Nothing on earth could have brought him back. <laughs> he was dead, as in completely dead. But then miraculously, he came back to life. Why? Why did he come back to life? I think that's just a great question because Jesus was actually God. Jesus was actually God. 
He predicted that he would come back to life, and then he did, that you and I could have a relationship with God. Christine shared this with us, it was so good. You see, we were created by God to have a relationship with him, and then over and over and over again, we reject him. Throughout all of history, we reject him. We say, we actually don't want a relationship with you, God. And he keeps trying, he keeps trying, he keeps chasing after us, and we keep rejecting him. Till eventually, Jesus, God himself, comes down and does what we could not. He himself has the perfect relationship with God, lives the perfect life, and then dies in our place. In place of all the things we deserved, I mean, all the horrible things we've done, do deserve death. But Jesus took that. And then, to top it off, he comes back to life. Comes back to life to share this amazing message that when you believe, in him believe not just like he existed but when you trust in him and that, that i think that's the perfect word that we trust we trust in jesus we don't just believe he existed but we give him our lives that's the kind of believing that i'm talking about a lot of us believe maybe that he existed believe that he was maybe god but that's not enough that's not what it is. It's not like a check off the box and you got the answer right. It's a surrendering of our lives to him. Saying, you can have all of me. I trust you with my life, Jesus. And then, God, his spirit comes in and lives inside of us and allows us to do what we never could do. To actually have a relationship with God a reconnected, real relationship. He starts to help us change to get rid of that sin in our lives. That's why this whole thing happened. That's why. And this is where some of you may be asking the question, but how do I know this is true? Like, okay, if that's true, if he's God and all this happened, then okay, I can wrestle with that, see if I want to like do that. But how do I know he actually came back to life? And that is also a good question. I want to show you by looking at the first three people that Jesus interacted with. He had he had these, these encounters with three different people, and it's so interesting to me how that went down. It's unexpected about Jesus. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. Now Mary. Everyone say Mary again. Mary. <laughs> no one said Mary again. <laughs> Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, other at the foot, and they asked her, woman, why are you crying? At this point, I'd be wondering, what is going on, okay? I don't know if she knew they were angels or not, but apparently she's like, not even phased. She's like, they've taken my Lord away, she said. It's not weird that there's two people sitting in the tomb. She said, I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Here's the first meeting that Jesus had with anyone. Everyone say, Mary. Mary. It's so important. Mary is the first person that Jesus comes and talks to. And look what it tells us. Jesus saying, right in front of her, Mary asked Jesus, where is Jesus? She asked Jesus, where's Jesus? Okay. And this is just goes to show how much this woman did not expect Jesus to be back alive, I think. Okay. Uh, he's standing in front of her. She doesn't know who it is. And it says, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? 
and thinking he was the gardener. I thought, I thought it was so good that Corey was sharing this. He's the gardener, right? Actually, Mary thought he was the gardener, okay? He's uh, the gardener. Jesus looks like a gardener, apparently. I don't know if we should have like a painting of Jesus as a gardener instead. Um, but uh, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, or Rabboni, it's probably more likely, which means teacher. Rabboni sounds like a, a pasta or something. <laughs> 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 Rabboni, <laughs> like I'm a commercial or something. Rabboni, which means teacher. And this is beautiful. Here's the first meeting Jesus had with someone, this woman who cared so deeply about Jesus. So deeply, she gets up at like 3 in the morning, comes out to the tomb that's empty, runs all the way back into town, then runs all the way back to the tomb. I mean, this, this girl's probably exhausted. She hasn't slept this whole weekend. She just ran back and forth like several times, and then she sees Jesus. I don't know. I'd be like thinking I was hallucinating maybe, right? She's probably just so exhausted. She's been sitting there weeping at this tomb, and she sees Jesus. Doesn't your heart feel for Mary, like in this situation, like how much pain she must be going through. I mean, like, they're freaking a little harsh. They're like, why are you crying? Like, come on, she's the only one that's there, right? But here's what I see in this first meeting. Here's what I see about Jesus that is so different than what I would expect. Number one, here's what I see about a different Jesus. Jesus isn't interested in popularity. Jesus isn't interested in popularity. You'll see what I mean. Let me ask you something. If you're God and you can do anything, you've just been killed by all these horrible people and everyone thinks you're gone forever and then you come back to life and you want everyone to know about it as in you've got this awesome message of reconnect everyone to God and you're like, hey, here's the opportunity to reconnect with God. Believe in me, right? I'm Jesus, I'm the one you just killed. Looky, back to, I'm back, I'm back to life, right? What would you do? You had unlimited power. Would the first thing you do is go and say hi to Mary? Uh, I don't know. I don't know about you, but along with raising myself from the dead, I'd probably set up a huge throne that everyone could see from halfway across the world. Right? Or maybe make my new body the size of a skyscraper. Terrify everyone, right? Like, yeah, we were wrong. Jesus is God, okay? What, what would you do? Like, would you make yourself appear in front of every single human, like as if they were seeing a TV screen? Right? Terrify everyone. Like, Jesus is real. I mean, he had the power to do this. But think about that. Whatever crazy method that we think of of sharing the gospel, Jesus could have done that instantly. But he goes and he talks to Mary. I think this is so important that it's not the things that we expect that Jesus would do. Right? Jesus does something completely different. He goes, pretends to be the gardener, and then talks to Mary. Come on, Jesus, not the best way to spread the news around that you've just risen from the dead. Right? Like, go do something. There's way bigger things going on, but I don't think Jesus is interested in taking the popular approach. Let me tell you what I mean. Throughout Jesus' entire life here on earth, he actually ran away from being the popular, crowd-pleasing person. Every time you'd see, start to see like maybe thousands of people coming, Jesus would either sneak away in the middle of the night, <laughs> wake up, where's Jesus, right? Or... Or he would say something so controversial that they would all leave. 
right? At one point, it says like he, they, they had huge crowds gathering because he had just fed like 5,000 people. And so he says like this crazy thing about like, if you want any part, you gotta eat my body. And they're like, okay, this is, this is too much. I'm gone. <laughs> so like it says, everybody left. And like even the 12 disciples are kind of like, I don't know anymore. And he's like, are you gonna stay? And they're like, we got nowhere else to go, man. So they like, they're the only ones that stay with you. I kid you not, this happens so many times. You see this mess so much with his followers. He had some of them trying to set him up for a bigger platform. They're like, hey, you should go probably apply, apply for some political position. Let's go into the big city. What you doing out here in these little towns? Like, we can make sure you get a way bigger platform. We'll get you a big crowd, right? We can start a revolution. And Jesus, every time, turns away from him. I got, I look, John 7, this is his brothers. I'm just going to skip there real fast. John 7, 3 and 4, his physical family said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And isn't it interesting, Jesus always said no. He always said no. I mean, the biggest thing he did was ride a donkey into Jerusalem. And we even last week talked about how that was not what everyone expected it was. Right? He was not looking... To be the popular person, it, it kind of strikes against us right now because we live in a world where bigger is better. Right? I mean, even in the church, we got so many things, so many ways that we think as a church, the way to reach everyone is just to get a bigger platform. Man, if maybe if I could just get like a couple hundred thousand people following me on my Instagram, I could really save some souls, right? Like really have people come to know who Jesus is. Made by a huge building. Like, I, heard, I, was reading, I was reading about some pastors that preach seven services on Sunday. Like that's how many people they have coming. Like there's seven services in one day. Like is that the method? I'm not saying any of these, like if people are doing that, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, that those ways are wrong. But I'm seeing, is that the approach Jesus took? And I think it's so interesting that he did not Far more, far more celebrity pastors have way more followers than Jesus did. Uh, so many of us probably on our own Facebook page or Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, you've got way more people following you probably than Jesus did in his entire ministry. Now, I'm not saying that means like all our large churches are wrong, not at all. But do we assume that that is what Jesus would do? Do we assume that's what Jesus would do? Do we assume because culturally it seems better in a world where we're driven by the next goal, the next metric, the next step? Is that what Jesus would do? Why is it Jesus didn't do that? Why did Jesus allow his schedule to get interrupted constantly by people we would say are nobody? Why did Jesus spend his whole life in one small area and only interact with like a couple thousand people? I mean, he's got could have done something way more grandiose, right? Why did Jesus come back to life and then show himself to a random woman? Here's what you and I have to understand that Jesus knows. Popularity doesn't change hearts. If you get excited about something, it doesn't necessarily change your heart. It just gets people excited, right? How many people are drawn to things that are popular because it seems exciting? You want something new, you know, like, man, this, this, hot person is going to this place so I'm going right like 
How many times, we, we don't even know what the, the motives are behind so many things. Who remembers the ice bucket challenge? Okay? Remembers the ice bucket challenge? Who did the ice bucket challenge? <laughs> You're like, I'm not raising my hand. Now, did anybody, like, remember what it was for? ALS. ALS. How many people donated ALS? Good, right? I was reading a statistic, like, only like 5% of the people who did the challenge actually donated, okay? But how many people are now changed? They're like, I'm an advocate for ALS. Because of the Ice Bucket Challenge. I mean, it was like huge, pop, successful social media campaign. and actually did raise like millions of dollars. So it actually did work. But how much of it actually changed and how many people were just excited to dump, dump a bucket of ice on their hands? Okay? That's my question. Does something that's exciting and popular, does that mean it actually changes our hearts, right? I was thinking about some other things, like, uh, how about Pokemon Go? You remember when people are like, you run over in the streets because they're like, walking? And I know some of you are still playing Pokemon Go, and I'm not saying it's like wrong or anything, but you are the few that have stayed the course, okay? I think like everybody like downloaded that on their phone to try it, okay? Like when you see people like that. Like flipping little pokeballs at like invisible objects, right? The other thing I was thinking about is seeing a little thing. You remember those fidget spinners? <laughs> like the little things they spin and like it was like so popular and like walking around, like kids are just walking down the streets, like putting them on stuff, making videos, and like where are they now? You know? So many of us get so excited about whatever the new popular thing is, and I think Jesus saw that in our hearts. How are we people, how do we do that same thing with Christianity? Right? How many of us were raised culturally to go to church? Or even at least to go to church on Easter? Some of you may be tuning in. They're like, man, I gotta tune in somewhere, so I'm coming on Easter. And I'm glad you're here, by the way, because it's not to shame you at all. But we have this like urge, and is it because we've been passionate about following Jesus, or is it something else that has motivated us to come here? And I I'm so glad you're here if that is the case for you. Like I said, I'm not like telling you, you should not be here. No, I'm glad you're here. But we have to ask the question, what is bringing us here, right? Jesus wasn't interested in a following. He wanted followers. Okay? He appears to this one woman and only a couple thousand people at most saw him after he came back to life. His method of passing on this amazing news was far different than what we would expect. He actually chose to do it person by person, one-on-one. On one. And you're here this morning, and you're like, man, I've been a Christian way more. I've been showing up to Sunday services. You're like, man, I come on every, every Sunday. That still doesn't mean that you're necessarily a Christian, which means a Christ follower. You'll learn a lot of truths if you come every Sunday, and I'm glad you're here. How to fit in, how to say the right words. But following Jesus has a lot more to do with the one-on-one -on -one discipleship process that happens, being in relationship with other believers. It's a lifestyle, right? It's completely integrated. It's not something you can turn on and off. And Jesus had a lot more to do with that one-on-one -on -one relationships than happen outside of our Sunday services, right? Than this, this hour and a half where you get talked at from me or whoever's up here. Again, don't get me wrong, I love what we do here. I love, I love Sunday services, I'm so grateful for this time, but it's just the tip of the iceberg of what Jesus 
was trying to start. That's why he spent three years with just like 20 or 30 people. Right? He could have started the mass, most massive following. He could have started our own country. He could have taken over the world. It was Jesus. It was God. Right? Like he could have done it. But instead, he meets one-on-one -on -one with like 20 or 30 people. And that's why I think Jesus appears to man. And as a side note, I think this helps show the authenticity of the story. And maybe you've heard this before, but in that day and age, even way worse than today, is there was a huge problem with women having a voice. They were seen as not credible just because they were female. They weren't allowed to give a testimony in court, anything. I think it's so interesting, if people were like making this story up, why would Jesus be told as going to this woman first? I think that's just so interesting to me, and a, a lot of critics are like, hmm, this kind of gives some credibility to the story that Jesus first went to a woman, someone that was voiceless, literally, that would not have shown or like caused people to think, oh, this is true, right, at that time, right? Because look what happens, let's keep going. So Mary, after seeing Jesus, she runs all the way back to tell all the other close followers that Jesus actually risen from the dead. He's alive. Mary literally goes back and forth again, okay? It's like 50 times running back and forth this morning. She's like running a marathon. And what do the other people do? Check out the verse. I'm going to just jump to another verse. You can look if you want. Um, it's, in, it's in the book of Luke 24, 9 through 11. I'm just going to read it real quick. It says, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others, so all the close disciples. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Even the disciples themselves were like, okay, like number one, it's hard enough to believe that Jesus appeared, but number two, why would he appear to you, okay? Why would he appear to us, right? I'm sure they had their own biases. They're like, man, these are women that are coming. I can't believe this. This is just the culture at the time, okay? Please do not push that on me. I'm like, man, Galen is saying that. <laughs> not at all, okay? This is how it was at this time, and they would have seen that, and it seems like they did not believe it. So, all these guys, top 12 disciples, are hiding in this room with all the doors locked. That's what it says. They were scared. They didn't want to be found. They saw what happened to the leader, and they were afraid the same thing would happen to them. And here's the second time that Jesus appears to some people. Look at what happens in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, and the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the holes, right? The holes that had gone in his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So here in this room is the ones that Jesus has handpicked to start this new thing called the church, right? These are the best of the best. The ones that he can trust to keep the church going. I mean, how can you even hope to get into this group? They're the greatest leaders ever. Not so much, okay? <laughs> These guys were society's outcasts. People who did the lowest jobs. They were hated. Hated people. They were rebels. They were losers. Guys that are now hunted because they were known to be with Jesus. And what are these great leaders doing? What are they doing? <laughs> are they out there like... Well, at least we can continue his message, right? Like these guys are supposed to be like the ones, right? They're in this hidey hole with all the doors locked, right? I just remember it, it just reminded me so much vividly of this time. I used to live in 
Grand Rapids in this house with a bunch of guys, and there was one guy who would never pay rent. Okay, we split it all evenly, and he would not pay rent. And so I, of course, had to be the bad person. I would always like go down and like hunt him down to find his rent money. Okay, and I remember this one time. <laughs> You must have been getting like so terrified of running into me, okay? And so we were upstairs, we were making breakfast, we were making like a ton of pancakes or something. Like we all had the day off or something. And I'm like, oh, I'll just go ask this dude if he wants some pancakes. So I come down the stairs and I hear him running for his room. Right? <laughs> and the door slams. Now the problem is like this basement room that he was in, there's like a little gap between the doors so I could see through. I see him holding the door closed, right? <laughs> And I'm like, oh, dude, I just was going to invite you for pancakes, right? <laughs> okay, that's what's in my mind of all the disciples, okay? They are that terrified that someone is coming down to get them, okay? That's what all of Jesus' greatest and brightest were doing, his top leaders. And this is what strikes me so much about this second meeting that's different about Jesus and what happens on this day. Jesus isn't looking for the best. Jesus isn't looking for the best. I mean, isn't it so strange that Jesus chose these guys to lead his new church? I mean, they literally ran away, every single one of them. One of them actually betrayed him for money, okay? And I think it's so funny that when we hold these guys up as some sort of example, like that we should definitely, like, can never ascribe to, right? We call them saints or apostles. And I'm like, man... This dude had nothing in himself that would cause anyone to choose him to lead anything. The only, hear me on this, the only reason that they are the leaders, these men were able to lead the church was because Jesus had chosen them. There is literally like no skills. It wasn't because of their massive following. It wasn't because they had taken enough Bible classes. It wasn't because they approved themselves in the last election by getting so many people to vote for Jesus, right? Like there was nothing that would have caused them to be this like great leader. None of that. There wasn't anything besides the fact that Jesus believed in them. Even after they ran away, right? I just think of even uh, the fact that what, what would have happened if Judas would have came back and repented to Jesus? Obviously it didn't happen. But this guy that betrayed him. Well, some of us come to Jesus with this expectation. You can't use me because I'm just so messed up. My life is a mess. If you only knew what was deep down, hidden, there's some things you've never shared with anyone about what's really going on. Right? And the other half of us try to put on a show to act like we got it all together. So you got like one or the other. You're sitting here, you got one or the other. And that's what we have to see about Jesus here. None of us, and I mean none of us, deserve anything. None of us can hold up a flag and say, Well, sorry, Mark, I got you beat. Jesus is going to choose me. Right? That is not the way that Jesus works. He actually knows what's going on. I mean, he's not here in this room that we're talking about here, but there's this guy named Paul that ends up being one of like the strongest followers of Jesus that writes a huge part of the Bible. And he was at this time out killing Christians, right? Like this is who Jesus chooses, right? I mean, it just, it, this, this Easter morning, as we think about this message, it just reminds me 
that whatever expectations we've put, it's our own expectations. It's not Jesus's. He isn't looking for the best. And if you're sitting here and listening online, I want you to know, number one, he's not choosing you because you're popular. Or you're good enough. Or if you're sitting here thinking that, then you're actually completely wrong. Right? You might not even be following Jesus. You might actually be following yourself, if that's what you're thinking. Right? If you think because you voted a certain way, or because you attend church enough times, or you live in a certain moral lifestyle, no, none of this is what is going to help you. None of this is what's going to help you get on Jesus' good side. And number two, he's not writing you off because you're too bad. That's the other thing I want you to see. He's not writing you off because you're too good or because you're too bad. Some of you sitting here ashamed of your life, the choices you made. You sit in this shame and this guilt every day, and it weighs on you. There's no way that God could love me. Good news. It's not based on what you have done. It's not based on what you're doing right now. It's not even based on what you can do in the future. The story of Easter being the greatest day of all is because Jesus did what you could not, and it doesn't matter what you've done before, what you, what you might do even today, this morning, what you could do tomorrow. It doesn't matter because Jesus has sat in your place. This doesn't mean we go and live however we want, like we get a, get out a free, jail free card, right? That's not what this means, right? But when we actually believe this, when we actually know this, when Jesus actually becomes that one we surrender to, it'll start changing the way we live. Not only because His Spirit lives in us, but because we understand we don't belong to ourselves any longer. So good, so good. So let's look at the last one. The last one before you guys all have sunburn today. Look at the third person that Jesus meets up with. Verse 24 says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus. Everybody had like multiple names back then, okay? So Didymus, it means the twin. This was a, this was a twin. If you didn't know it? My wife is a twin. Don't go and ask her about that. Uh, just random fact. It has nothing to do with it. One of the twelve was not with the disciples. Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, this Thomas, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And I believe that is how all of us are, right? I mean, we can hear the most amazing testimony I mean, we can have the most amazing proofs, but that won't convince us. I need to see it with my own eyes, and even then I might not believe. I think it's amazing. You can keep going into John. I think it's John. Somewhere in the Gospels. Uh, is, uh, just read them all. Uh, there's a spot where it says, like, at the end, Jesus appeared to a whole crowd of people, and it says, and some still did not believe. Here's Jesus standing in front of them. He's like, put your hand in my side. Like, nope, not you. Right? Like, there is still that some that will not believe no matter how convincing the proof. Right? Thomas is like, I don't want to, I can't believe in this unless I see it myself. And what does Jesus do? Verse 26, it says, a week later. And I feel really bad for Thomas because it's a whole week where all this stuff is like, Jesus is alive! He's like, no, 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 no. Right? Like, he's the outsider. He's like, how come this happened without me there? I don't know what Thomas was doing. If he had to go get the food that day, sneak out or something. But he's like, come on, right? 
and says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I think this is so powerful because it shows us something so true and deep about Jesus. Someone say deep. 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 This is deep about Jesus. How many of us set up some sort of expectation for ourselves or for others to prove that they deserve something? Right? I mean, we want proof that you're actually serious about helping me. Uh, I, I want proof that you're actually serious about me helping you move. We were talking about moving right this morning. I was thinking about that. Like, how many of you are like, I want to come over and make sure you actually have everything packed in boxes. I want to make sure you actually have a moving truck and an elevator to get things up and down, right? Like some of us are like, I need proof before I'm going to come help you. And if you've ever helped someone move, you know what I mean, okay? We want proof that someone actually deserves a handout, right? Like you, you need some money, you need some food. I want proof that you're not scamming me, that you actually deserve this, that you're working as hard as I am. We want proof that this person actually deserves to be here in the church, right? Like, whatever it is, like, we want to set up a checklist before you can walk in this parking lot. We want proof from everyone else that someone deserves something, and when in fact there's no proof that we deserve anything that we got. And so, follow with me. I feel bad for this guy Thomas because, I mean, he gets such a bad rap. I mean, if you've heard of this guy before, what's the word that goes before Thomas? Doubting Thomas. He's called Doubting Thomas, but notice, all the other guys didn't believe when the women came and told them, right? Like, all other 11, however many followers were there, right? Like, they came and they're like, no, we don't believe you. Like, she's like, I saw Jesus. Like, nope, right? But Thomas is known as the horrible person that doubted that Jesus had risen. They only believed because they saw Jesus themselves. All the other other, um, disciples. And Thomas is forced to wait this entire week, and that's how we are. We would be the ones that say, oh, Thomas, 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 you are such a doubter, right? You need to pull yourself together a little bit, man. Come on, just have some faith, right? But we are just the same, right? Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Number three, Jesus meets you where you're at. Jesus meets you where you're at. I think this goes to the depths of who Jesus is. He comes after you. Some of you are sitting here, or you're listening in, and you're thinking, well, I just need a little more proof that this is all real. Some of you are, are, are thinking, you know, I just need something more, and Jesus hears you. Jesus hears you, and he will show you, I guarantee it, but are you looking? Are you looking? Are you listening? Are you seeing I think these three stories show something even bigger about who Jesus is. He's in the small things. Right? He's in these small meetings. He reminds me so much of that story I told at the beginning with Tilly. Right? Jesus rarely shows himself in these big, flashy things, the things that blow our minds, and it's like beyond doubting. We, we, you know, where we crawl to him in fear. That's not how he works. Why? Apparently that's not the way he is. He comes to us in the small things. Just like Tilly, are we noticing them? I think of millions of people were sitting on those beaches that day in 2004. Millions of people saw the same things that could have saved their lives, but Tilly actually noticed them. 
activity actually knows that. I believe Jesus is coming to you this morning, each and every day, and he's seeking after your heart because that's the most important thing in this life. He's coming to you exactly where you are. You could be addicted to drugs. You could be strung out every night. You could be sleeping around having a different sexual partner every single day. You could be watching porn every night, even this morning. You could be a racist who views people less because of their skin color. You could be on the fringe. You could be in the popular chair. But God is going to come and meet you where you're at. I think that's the beautiful thing about these stories. It's not only that Jesus... He comes to us in a different way than we expect. And he isn't looking for you to be the best. But he actually chases you down. A lot of the times we reject him. A lot of times we run from him. And this morning, you're sitting in this morning, if you're watching online, and you're saying, I see Jesus, and I've been running from him. I want to invite you to turn around and look and see the Jesus who rose from the dead 2,000 years ago and is chasing your heart. If you want to talk with one of us, one of the pastors this morning, we would love to talk with you more about this. We'd love to pray with you, to share with you this Jesus. Don't go another day waiting. I'm going to go stand in the back after this. I'm going to invite Corey to come back there and Brennan. And we would just love to pray with you. And if you're like, man, I'm too nervous, like COVID's like so crazy, then we would love to just call you on the phone even like hey can we talk later this week or if you're online send us a text leave us a comment we would love to talk with you and i'm going to invite up the worship team they're going to close with a couple songs we're going to take communion together but i'm going to be in the back and i would love to pray you guys are coming up let me just pray lord jesus thank you for this day that we get to celebrate every year i love what brennan said every day we get to celebrate this every day you came back to me. And then you came and you met with people who have been passing the story on to each of us. And that's not even enough. You come and you chase us down, God. So I pray this morning if there are walls that are built up between someone and you, God, that you would break down those barriers. Jesus, allow someone to come back and ask for prayer today that's feeling so nervous. Like, man, what are people going to look at me? All that kind of stuff. God, I pray that you would give them strength and courage to come back and talk with us. Jesus, may you do what you did 2,000 years ago. May you, you bring faith that goes far beyond the evidence that allows us to trust you and surrender to you. We love you. We pray this in your name. You have been listening to New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. If you have been blessed by this message, please let us know. Now go and live a new life.